When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back. Special Memorial Day edition of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. I want to give a shout out before I get into the plugs and what I'm going to talk about in today's show. I want to give a shout out to all of our veterans that have served the country, that have gone overseas, that have served domestically, that have served in any capacity. Happy Memorial Day from the Destination Devi family and a salute to you. As we remember those that have served, those that are not with us anymore, enjoy the day, celebrate the loved ones that we have lost, and celebrate, more importantly, everybody that we still have here. So just wanted to put that out there. Happy Memorial Day to everybody from the Destination Devi crew. Uh, as always, you can find the content for Destination Devi over at patreon.com slash allgas. Check out everything over there in the Discord, the newsletter. It is allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. You get something every single Friday in your inbox with a ton of goodies from all of the content creators. Uh, Some new stuff coming to Destination Devi very soon. Check out all the other podcasts on the feed. We have daily content over there. Uh, For whatever your itch is, check that out and enjoy everything that the feed has to offer. And then finally, the Warp episode that I just posted this past Thursday with Koopa. Uh, the Warp episode explaining roster construction. Anybody that's listened to this show has enjoyed the roster construction series and has wanted to learn more about Warp, check that episode out. It is on the Patreon for Dynasty and Chill, patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. You can get access to that Warp episode and then dedicated content weekly, monthly, a monthly Zoom chat with myself and everybody else over in the group, uh, over 250 strong at this point in the Chillbillies. Shout out to all the Chillbillies again, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill and then finally if you are interested in the warp tool check out southharmonff.com try it out for a month those that entered the free warp giveaway that i promised i would announce on the destination dynasty show i will do the drawing on that at the end of the show uh, for five free warp tool months Uh, everyone will get free access Uh, i will make sure you get set up and let you know what you need if you win that. But I'll do that drawing at the end of the show so you can give the Warp Tool a try for the next month. And so on today's program, this is going to be a data dump episode. It's not going to be a marathon show, but it's just going to be a data dump show that is a follow-up to a show that I did earlier this offseason talking about the threshold wide receivers and wide receiver usage for 2022. The date of that episode for anybody that wants to listen to that prior to today's show, January 23rd, 2023, and it is titled 2022 Final Wide Receiver Usage, Establishing 
the threshold. So check that out. Uh, it's kind of a preview to what I'm going to talk about today, but I have some new stuff that I wanted to share and maybe a little bit of an updated lens at how I'm going to start looking at wide receivers going forward. So we're going to just get into the data. And I'm going to post this as a link for everybody so that you can see what I'm working off of. Uh, but it's pretty basic. It's essentially looking at the same categories that I looked at previously and putting them in a category. And I'll talk more in a little bit about what those categories are and how they're defined. Uh, but I looked at the four major usage numbers or stats, which included target percentage or market share percentage, targets per route run, yards per route run, and air yards percentage or market share of air yards percentage. And then those four things essentially coming up with a grade. Now, if you were in the voice chat last week, shout out to everybody over at the Destination Debbie Heisman channel. If you're in the voice chat last week, there was a long discussion on Friday talking about wide receivers. And we were in there, Ray, myself, a bunch of others jumped in and out, and we discussed a ton of different players. Uh, but we talked about this trinity in terms of wide receivers and what we're actually looking at for wide receivers to try to figure out what's the difference between a potentially elite receiver and then everybody else. And what do those guys have in common? And what are the guys that are maybe valued closer to that range? What do they not have? Are there one or even two of these components that they might not have? And then do you play the market in that range to still chase specific roster construction, to have enough receivers to get by regardless of your format, whether it's best ball, whether it's lineup, make sure some of your flexes are covered with wide receivers. But you're also still playing this market component and you're saying, okay, with how this player is scoring their points, is there a way that I can look at them and say, maybe it's somebody that I'm willing to bet against where they're currently valued? Or can I pivot down to somebody else that might be cheaper, but effectively it's the same thing. So that's what the discussion was about. The numbers that Ray talked about were a little different. What he was looking at was a little more simplistic. Uh, there were only three things. Essentially was looking at the target share was looking at the air yards, and then was looking at the yak ability or yards after the catch. So those three things and just figuring out where do they rank between them and all the other receivers in those three categories to try to paint a complete picture as to what type of receiver they are. And is this another way where we can kind of pigeonhole players into specific archetypes before they even get to the NFL? That's the one thing that you probably can't do uh, with some of the stuff that I'm looking at is it's hard to really classify what that profile looks like other than looking at a lot of the same stuff that we previously would look at with profiles and trying to imagine what role a player may play when they get to the NFL based on where they played in college or what their film said, or even just how they fit on a specific team, even before they get drafted or when they get drafted, where might they fit amongst all the other receivers? So it was cool to come up with this idea. And really what it's trying to accomplish is a snapshot looking at the wide receiver landscape and then saying, okay, here's how all of these receivers look based on this criteria. Just a quick snapshot. Okay, this is this type of receiver. This is this type of receiver. Then cross-referencing that with their fantasy production and then also with their price. And when you look at that, you can kind of get an idea and say, all right, here's what a receiver with this type of season looks like and what was different between what they typically look like versus what they were maybe a couple years ago when they had their best fantasy season. Then you put in their ADP and you say, okay, what does this player look like relative to their ADP and how do we determine where you want to play the market? Which guys would you want to maybe sell on? Which guys would you want to buy on? What players might be overvalued that look a lot like somebody that's undervalued? And then what players might be undervalued? You're like, man, I could probably get that player and it could replace one of these players that might be a little bit overvalued. And that's where you talk about the theory of playing the market 
just exploiting the fact that there are certain players people like simply because they're young. They're only 22. They're only 23. They're only 24. We haven't seen them fail as much. So even if their archetype says, hey, this player is probably this, they're still more highly valued just based on some criteria that you can't really measure by looking at any data or looking at anything that they've actually done on the field. There's just kind of a mythical value attached to their name. And most likely it's because of A, they're young, they have a good profile, or B, they were somebody that people liked for a while and they haven't been bad. So there's really been no reason to move them down. They kind of just stick where they are, but there's still people that generally like them. Then you go lower than that and you find a lot of players where you go, yeah, that was this guy two years ago, yet everyone soured on him because they've been in the NFL four years, five years, and they really haven't done anything really good. So they just slowly move down. And that's the way that it works at receiver. I've talked about this tons of times that with the log jam of how many good receivers are in the NFL and how many receivers we try to jam into the top 50, top 60 constantly, you end up with probably 70 to 80 names every single year. And a lot of the ones near the bottom are guys that two years ago you would have put in that range, but they really haven't done anything inspiring since. So just naturally they get pushed down and new players jump into their place. And it isn't even like the elite guys. Like it's not Jackson Smith and Jigba or Jordan Addison. Like those guys jump right in into the top 15, into the top 20. All the rookie receivers this year that went in the first round all have jumped basically into the top 30 from the jump. But then it's the everybody else's. It's Rasheed Rice. It's Jaden Reed. It's Marvin Mims. Those guys even jump inside the top 60, top 70, and they replace guys that previously would have gone well, you know what? That guy's actually not a bad player, but they haven't really done a ton. So there's no reason to push them up. We're just going to naturally push them down. So it creates more depth at the position. And then if you don't have players that age out fast enough, we're really going to end up with like a log jam of a ton of receivers where you can go, yeah, this guy's wide receiver 76. But I remember three years ago when he was easily worth a second round pick, if not more. And there were people that were going, man, this guy could be the next wide receiver too on this team, and he could be really, really good. And there's a ton of those guys, and they don't age out as fast as they used to. I mean, sure, we have some older guys in there. We have the Adam Thielens and the Robert Woods and the Allen Robinsons. There's a lot of those guys that are still hanging around, you know, inside the top 100, inside the top 80, 90-ish. Uh, but they don't expire as fast. So we're going to have a lot of players that are still, you know, 27 or under that are expiring because there's been so many receivers that have come in and become relevant over the last five years that there's a lot of them still hanging around, but we really don't know what to do with them. And we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we value this guy? How do we value this guy? How many of these guys do you need? Should I buy? Should I sell? And a lot of times the ones you want to sell are the ones that are a tier above those because they still have market viability. And I'll give some examples in this, and then I'll give some examples of some guys that are lower. And I go, yeah, there's not a big difference. There really isn't a big difference between this guy, wide receiver 69, and this guy, wide receiver 43. What is the difference? Like literally, what is the difference other than maybe one small factor that's keeping one relevant and keeping one buried? So back to the data. So I was looking at target share, targets per route run, yards per route run, and then market share of air yards or air yards rank. 
And then I added in yak per reception. So yards after the catch per reception. And then I also added in two other components. And these are ones that the receiver isn't necessarily going to be able to control themselves. Uh, but it's EPA or efficiency for the quarterback on the team that's going to be throwing to the receiver. And then it's also the projected volume. And I use Mike Clay's projections for pass volume this year for each team. So there's not an exact science with using the volume coefficient here that I used. But I wanted just to put something in there to say, okay, based on somebody that I respect their projections, and I know it's just one person's projections, this would probably be better done if we had an aggregate of a ton of different people's projections, put them together, and then you could say, okay, we have 10 people that I trust have gone through the process and gone through and done projections for players. Here's what they have for the Atlanta Falcons. Here's what they have for the Denver Broncos and use that. But I just use Mike Clay's projections and I essentially just took a coefficient above or below the mean for every team. I did it the same with quarterback EPA. So trying to measure, basically we have all these receiver independent numbers to where the receiver is owning their own target share, targets per route run, yards per route run, air yards percentage, and their yards after the catch. But then they have these other two components. So one, it's going to be the efficiency of the quarterback. And then it's also going to be the projected volume of the team. So you essentially have like a heat map showing categories for all of these receivers. And I used everybody inside the top 100 that excludes the rookies, because obviously we have some rookie receivers in there that we have no data on. But you can clearly look at players that are on their teams and say, okay, here's what the QB EPA or the QB efficiency looks like, and then also the projected volume. So I took all of this and essentially just made a heat map for each one of the receivers. And again, I used everybody in the top 100 that has numbers from years past and just went down the line and just kind of looked at who are the players that you can spot trends, maybe that they are overvalued or maybe that they're undervalued. But it's more of just looking at this and saying, do they check the boxes that we would think they would check? Is what the data says, does it kind of perceive what we think that receiver is, what that receiver can be? And then is there some ways where we can maybe play this and exploit the market? And there's definitely some things that stand out. So let's just jump right into it. I'm going to look at the ones that I think stood out to me. That's essentially what this show is going to be about. Uh, but before I do that, let me just establish how I put in the criteria for each one of those categories. So I put it into five different tiers. Great, good, average, bad, and then woof. So great, good, average, bad, and woof. And then I used each one of those categories and essentially just picked a threshold for each one of those. So for instance, the market share for great, you had to be over 30%. Good if you were between 25 and 29.99%, you were good. 20 to 24.99% average, 15 to 19.9% bad, and then anything below 15%, you got a woof. So that doesn't really mean anything in terms of woof, bad, average, good, great. It's just a way to categorize these, but you, you can use the key and essentially say, okay, there's a snapshot of this player. If you see something that says bad or you see something that says great, you can kind of look at the criteria and say, okay, that's what that means. And that's it. And then same thing for the quarterback efficiency and same thing for the projected volume. You can look at both of those and kind of use those as a slider or a tiebreaker. If everything checks the boxes, but then you look over and you say, okay, here's how I can archetype this type of receiver 
and then I go look at their quarterback efficiency, and it says bad, and then I go look at their projected volume, and it says bad, then you probably want to study a little bit more, do I want this receiver at their current cost? And that's the final thing, is looking at the ADP. And they're just looking at this basic heat map and say, okay, where do I want to maybe choose to get out, to sell, to exploit the market? And I think we already know, this is not going to be a warp show, but I think we already know that just inherently there are pockets of receiver production, and you can go back, pull up a random PPR league that you're in, and look at the warp. Look at the warp and how it's spread out at the different spots at wide receiver. Go pull one up and just see if anything stands out. And the first one, when I pull it up, the thing that stands out to me is you see a player at wide receiver 12 giving you around 1.09 warp. I just pulled up a specific league that has PPR scoring, giving you around 1.09 warp. Then you go down and you look at the wide receivers all the way down until wide receiver 36, and you're at 0.51 warp. So it's less than 0.6 warp between wide receiver 12 and wide receiver 36. And we inherently already know that. From the roster construction series, we kind of already know that receivers in that range are very, very flat. So what does that mean? What makes up those flat tier of receivers? And trust me, when you do this for most leagues with the receiver scoring, that's just PPR and it's not anything crazy in terms of extra points for targets or bonuses for anything crazy, this layout will look exactly the same for all of the leagues. So how does it happen? Why does it look like that? And essentially what it's saying is that there's a huge cluster of receivers where the production, the volume, the efficiency, whatever it is that's creating those fantasy points is very, very flat. Now, you don't get to see specifically what makes up those individual names. That's where something like this can help because you can look in here and you can say, okay, wide receiver number 17, DK Metcalf, 1.01 warp. Then you have DeAndre Hopkins. 0.74 warp. And you might look at those two players and go, wow, they're totally different types of receivers. But then you say their impact is very similar. And that's where you can get these takeaways by looking at this and then looking at the players that were in that range to get a little bit of a better idea as to how they got their fantasy points, what's their strengths, what their weaknesses are. But then it's clear that once they're in this range, it takes a lot to get out of it. You can probably spot the guys you think might be able to get out of it. And then if they're not there, you kind of say, okay, how do I now play the market to still hit my roster construction, right? Like, so if I have a league where there's 11 starters, I still probably want to have enough receivers to cover my flexes and to be able to accomplish whatever my roster construction desires. At the same time, how can I use the next couple months to get there at the cheapest price? And at the same time, how do I maybe pivot up to some of the difference makers, because as you can see on this chart, there are some receivers that were over two warp. There are some receivers that are really close to two warp. So you can identify those guys and you go, is there a way I can maybe get to there? And essentially all I'm selling a lot of times is just market consensus, fake youth, hype, whatever it might be. So I think it's a really cool trick to do some of these, go through, look at the players, look at your rosters, see where maybe you can make some pivots up, make some pivots down. Uh, And it gets into more of a deeper roster construction theory for the wide receiver position. Uh, I was texting back and forth with Ray a bunch just about different types of ideas and different types of pivots. And I think the consensus that we had was you can achieve your roster construction, but really you don't want to do it at the expense of holding a ton of extra value in this range. Now, 
Ray and I are blessed to be able to play in a ton of leagues. So it's very easy for us just to say, hey, I have a ton of leagues. I can go make these pivots. And you know what? If a couple of them don't work out, that's fine. For every 10 trades that I make, seven and a half of them are going to end up good. And I know it's impossible to have seven and a half out of 10 trades, but you get the idea. If I just hit on, let's say 65, 70% of those moves, that's okay. I have enough teams to recover on the 30% that I whiff on. But at the same time, if you just keep doing this over and over and over, really what you're doing is you're saying, okay, I'm going to extract some value from this dead zone range where I already know very confidently based on how receivers have finished the last couple years, I know very confidently this is how it's probably going to play out. I don't know exactly who the players in this range are going to be, but I definitely can exploit the market based on how people think they're going to end up or how they are currently valued. So that's something that definitely stands out with the point of this exercise is to go to your teams, look at your wide receiver core, look at your roster construction, whether it's lineup or best ball, it doesn't matter. We did a roster construction series on both, kind of talking about how to figure out how many receivers I'm going to need. What's the hierarchy of those receivers that I have making up my roster construction? And then where are the ones that I can maybe get a little bit cheaper? And then where are the ones I can maybe go out and add at a lower price and effectively achieve the same outcome? It's the classic wide receiver pivoting theory, uh, but there's new data to make it, I think, a little bit more actionable and a little bit more accurate. So let's just get into it. I'm going to get into some of the takeaways that I had from this uh, for the next 15, 20 minutes. Then we'll close out the episode with the warp tool drawing for everybody. But before that, as Ray and I just finish up our first bulldog draft on Underdog, let's hear from our newest sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part, if you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up, Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. We are back. So we're going to look at the tiers that I had talked about with the data. Again, looking at target percentage, targets per route run, yards per route run, team air yard share, yards after the catch per reception, and then quarterback efficiency and projected volume. And essentially just looking at a heat map for the top 100 receivers in Dynasty that exclude the rookies from this year, because obviously they don't have any data yet. But just where are some trends? So I'm going to talk about that for the next 15, 20 minutes. Some players that I'm maybe looking to get out on at their current prices, and then players that I can backfill certain spots when you talk about that wide receiver dead zone. So we look at the very, very top. And the biggest things that stand out to me are it's pretty clear that you can see the guys that are just absolutely phenomenal. If we're just looking at the players that have finished at the near the top or currently at the top of the dynasty market, Justin Jefferson, he's in the good category all the way across the board, literally good for everything. And then when you get to his quarterback efficiency, it's right on the cusp of being good. And then his projected volume is good. So literally just nothing wrong with Justin Jefferson. We already know that. But this data checks out. There really isn't a flaw in his game. Jamar Chase is pretty close. Uh, He falls to average on yards per route run. 
and then average on the yak. But again, I use some arbitrary cutoffs. He's literally right below Justin Jefferson in both those categories. And then his quarterback efficiency is obviously really, really high and his projected volume is really high. So almost no way to fail when you look at those two. In terms of like, are they going to be the wide receiver one? Not guaranteed. There's a lot of other good players, but there really is something to be said about, yes, their value is extremely high. It's DM near first round startup price high, but there's something to be said about, you know what, if I buy that, I know I am getting difference making warp production. Literally, like I know what I'm buying. And it's the same when you go a little bit lower. CD Lamb average in yards per route run, air yards percentage, and then yards after the catch. But still, like there's a reason he's a tier below those other two, but still damn good. Then you look at A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown may have the second best profile of everybody on here. He's literally good across the board. Then you get at his yak. That's great. Quarterback efficiency last year was great. Projected volume is low. uh, But again, I don't care about that as much. And when I'm looking at the projected volume, that's more of like, is that a tiebreaker? I don't care about it as much for A.J. Brown because I've seen him literally do it with projected volume that's been low for his entire career. So that's another one that just jumps out to me of how good he actually is tied to a really good situation with a really good quarterback, like just bulletproof across the board. Then you go down a little bit further and there's a few guys that are on the old end that in the short term, if I'm trying to make a bet that these guys are going to be warp difference makers, uh, you get to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is the best profile on this page. Literally the only player that is great across the board. You get to his yak. Okay. Maybe he's one thing that he has a little bit of a problem with his yak, but that's still average. And then his quarterback efficiency was really good last year and his projected volume is average. So literally Tyreek Hill is the most bulletproof target on this list. I don't care if he's going to retire in a couple years. Uh, I'm pretty sure as long as he stays healthy, I'm getting massive warp difference making production from Tyreek Hill. Stefan Diggs kind of right there with CD Lamb, still really good. Cooper Cup, awesome. Two greats, along with his potential volume, could be great, depending on the Rams' offense, if Matt Stafford stays healthy, and then he's good across the board. So arguably, Cooper Cup has the second best profile on here, if you look at this heat map. Devontae Adams, also great in target percentage, great in air yards, so still really good across the board. The only question with him is probably going to be quarterback efficiency. It'll be great on here, only because if you look at historical efficiency, Jimmy Garoppolo has been pretty good. Uh, but we're not sure about Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. So that's one to keep an eye on. But still, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, and Tyreek Hill, like they are what you think they are. And there probably hasn't been an easier time to get your hands on one of those receivers simply because people are like, man, those guys are getting old. They're 29 years old. I'm not sure I want to pay the market price. But then you go, what is it going to cost to actually get to those guys? So we go back up. I already talked about Jefferson and Chase and CeeDee Lamb and A.J. Brown. And then I mentioned those guys. But what about everybody else in between? And I think that's where the problem zone starts to come up. Now, Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson, pretty much good across the board. The only thing was his yards per route run was down last year. It wasn't that good last season. At the same time, is that something that maybe we can excuse away with his quarterbacks? Of all these stats, yards per route run is the one that I think is most tied to the quarterback, but still Garrett Wilson projecting to be pretty much good across the board and obviously bumping that quarterback efficiency up. Even to Aaron Rodgers, if he can get to 80% of what he was in his peak, uh, it still should magnify what Garrett Wilson does good already. Uh, and it, it does establish him as being in the top five. So I have no problem with you putting him in there just based on a little bit of a projection. But then you get to everybody else, and there's this kind of, I don't want to say dead zone, but it's really like, I'll say what it is. It's the overvalued zone in Dynasty to where you look at the next tier of players, and that's Jalen Waddell, 
Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Olave, T. Higgins, Devontae Smith, Drake London, DK Metcalf. Literally wide receivers 6 through 12 on keep trade cut. You get to all those guys, and it's not that they have bad profiles, but you look at this heat map and you go, there are holes. Jalen Waddle, for instance, average in target share percentage. His targets came way down. Probably because he played with Tyreek Hill, right? Like, it's understandable, but he's in that situation. Targets per route run, average. Now, he was good in yards per route run, but he was extremely bad in air yards, so he's really not getting anything down the field. Now, his yak is great, and his air yards percentage is extremely bad. So that just tells you right there, when I see bad for air yards and great for yak, it tells me he's probably a specific type of receiver, right? Or at least the way they're using him on this team is very specific. Now, he does have ties to an efficient quarterback if Tua plays how he did last year. And again, just like Tyreek Hill, should be average or so or higher in terms of volume. So those are good, but there's a hole in that profile. That tells me that Jalen Waddle maybe is a little bit one-dimensional. Doesn't mean he can't be really good. It doesn't mean he can't be a wide receiver one, but he's valued at wide receiver six. And essentially, I'm like, man, there are guys that are valued below him that either can give me close to what he can give me, or there are veterans that are way below him, you know, the guys I already mentioned, that I can get if I'm willing to move off of somebody like Jalen Waddle. And the bet is simply that, is Jalen Waddle a top 15 dynasty receiver? Yes. But if I tell you there's a tier between wide receiver 6 and wide receiver 18, why do I want to hold the wide receiver 6? That's extra value that I'm kind of just holding. And then guess what? If he continues to do what he did last year, guess where he probably is in two years? He's probably around like wide receiver 12, like where DK Metcalf is. He's the end of that tier. So it's just interesting looking at the profiles at that wide receiver 6 through 12, Amon Ross St. Brown, right? So Amon Ross St. Brown, we know he is a great target earner. Targets per route run, great. One of three guys in the league that got a great. But then again, you look at his air yards percentage. Looks very similar to Jalen Waddle, right? Like good in yak, bad in air yards percentage. Now, the thing with him is, you know, his situation may be similar, but maybe slightly better in terms of target competition, but slightly worse in terms of quarterback efficiency, right? So Tua was way better in quarterback efficiency last year or in passing efficiency last year than Jared Goff. Uh, but obviously both situations I think are favorable in terms of the offense, but there's a hole. There's a hole in both Jalen Waddle and Amon Ross St. Brown for that reason, but that is your wide receiver six and your wide receiver seven. So I don't want to say they're not good. It doesn't mean they can't continually finish inside the top 15, but I'm not betting on wide receiver five. I'm not betting on wide receiver six and they're priced at the top end of that tier, which means I can probably extract a little value out of there uh, if I want to pivot down. The next two, Chris Olave. So Chris Olave looks okay for a rookie. Again, the yak for Chris Olave, non-existent. So he's the opposite of Jalen Waddle and Amon Ross St. Brown. Tons of air yards, no yak. Now, can that change? I don't know. But again, you see that where you go, one is bad, one is great. Not that they're a one-trick pony, but that's kind of not what you're looking for if you're looking to pay wide receivers six, seven, eight prices. So it's essentially the opposite for Chris Olave. T. Higgins, same thing. Now, the thing with T. Higgins, these numbers are a little misleading for T. Higgins because he did have those two games last year where he literally played, so they count as games played, but it hurts him in terms of like his market share. It'll say bad on here. If you adjust his market share, you can probably bump that up to average, and then he looks a lot like Chris Olave. So you look at T. Higgins and you look at Chris Olave, and you're kind of like, you know what? I'd probably prefer Olave between the two. But you look at him and you say, not that they're just one-trick ponies, but the data kind of says they are. They're not getting both. 
And it's fair with somebody like Higgins and then the next guy, Devontae Smith, who actually looks a little bit better than Higgins. It's fair to say, you know what, the reason they are where they are is because they have another really good receiver that is next to them in the pecking order. They literally have one of the guys we talked about that was bulletproof or is at the very top in their same receiver room. Does that mean they aren't better than what this data says? Maybe, maybe they are, but the situation doesn't warrant it. So really, do I want to pay wide receiver 9, 10 prices for those guys? No, but you can justify it. Maybe if they weren't in that situation, that it could get better for them. So that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about the current market and where these guys are. And you look at Waddle, you look at Higgins, you look at Devontae Smith, and then a guy that I have no data on, obviously, because he's a rookie. Uh, we talked about Jordan Addison. It's kind of going to fit into this same mix, right? Like, even if Jordan Addison is good, you're probably hoping he gets to like T. Higgins or Devontae Smith. And that's a fair outcome. But when you then get there, what do you do? If Jordan Addison this year goes out, has 75 catches for 900 yards and six touchdowns, and he's the best rookie receiver, you're going to go into next year. Even if they keep Kirk Cousins, you're like, man, Devontae Smith, he had a great second year. Jordan Addison did that as a rookie. Let's bump him all the way up. Let's put him to wide receiver eight. Then you go, why do we want to fall for wide receiver eight? When you kind of know that's where he's going to ultimately land. So this tier... Waddle, Amon-Ra, Alave, Higgins, Devontae Smith. Now, again, Devontae Smith, the crazy thing is Devontae Smith actually looks the best of all of those guys to where if A.J. Brown were to get hurt, I'd probably be like, damn, Devontae Smith could be tracking up where A.J. Brown is, up where C.D. Lamb is. You know, so that's the one where I'm like, I'm hesitant to just pivot off of Devontae Smith blatantly because maybe if there's one where I could say, hey, he's closer to the other guy, it's probably him. But I also said A.J. Brown tracked really good. So you compare A.J. Brown with Devontae Smith, and you go, it's hard to say Devontae's better. But that is one where you go, you know what? If there was an injury, Devontae Smith could absolutely explode. And I'm not sure if Jalen Waddle or T. Higgins just absolutely explode. Maybe they do, but I bet on Devontae Smith being closer to the other guy than the other two. And then you get to the next guy, Drake London. So Drake London... If you look at his profile, the snapshot, the market share was good, the targets per route run good, the yards per reception, and the air yards, average, but then you get to everything else. No yak. So again, looks very, very much like Chris Olave. Obviously, you wouldn't think their profiles are the same, but probably not as explosive as Chris Olave, but then you look at the yak, no yak for Drake London, and then obviously the tiebreaker that you'll notice in Drake London's profile is quarterback efficiency and projected volume, woof and woof. So again, not that I don't like Drake London, but then you look at him and you say, is he worth wide receiver 11? Or is he a really good bet on this list to say, hey, you know what? I like Drake London, but next year when he's wide receiver 18, that's when I'll buy I'm okay pivoting off of him at wide receiver 11, only because it's really hard to imagine that it doesn't go the way that we kind of project it's going to go this year, unless there's just a total change in the offense for the Falcons. So that's one that stands out there. And then DK Metcalf, you know, Metcalf, when you look at these categories, good across the board, no yak though. He's one of the few good receivers in here that gets the woof for yak. In fact, he is the only receiver in the top 30 that has a wolf for yak. So no yak at all for DK. His yards per route run bad. So there's just holes in the DK Metcalf profile. He's a wide receiver too that's being priced at wide receiver 12. So that's kind of the takeaway of that tier. Not that I want to sell these guys, but if you're willing to give up the age, if you're willing to give up the name, this Waddle, Amon-Ra, 
Alave, Higgins, Devontae Smith, Drake, London, DK, Metcalf feels like the range in Dynasty where you say, hey, if I can extract extra value out of these guys and I can pivot down to Tyreek, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, if I can go downward and pick up an extra asset because somebody is scared of their receiver aging out, man, that's probably the nice place to exploit. And if I can move upward, you know, can I pay a little bit to get up to A.J. Brown or C.D. Lamb or even Garrett Wilson? And I don't know what that little bit is. You choose which direction you want to go. But what I don't want to do is just be holding a bunch of shares of those players. And I'm going to do a different show on the Dynasty and Chill Patreon feed, kind of talking about how I manage my portfolio of receivers. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to have zero shares of these receivers. I want to have a little of all of these guys, but I don't want to look up in my profile and go, man, I have nine shares of Amon Ross St. Brown. It means I'm holding too much Amon Ross St. Brown. It means I probably should have taken the advantage when he's wide receiver seven to pivot upward or downward, but I want to extract some value on my roster or in my asset chest somewhere. I don't want to just hold nine shares of Amon Ross St. Brown at wide receiver seven. So that's the takeaway there. The next tier, obviously you have Hill, Diggs, Cup, Adams, back to back to back to back. Then you go down a little bit further, and this is where we're getting into that dead zone. And I'm going to spend maybe the next 10 minutes or so talking about some takeaways in the dead zone. Uh, The one that stands out the most, there are two names that stand out to me the most on the list. Well, three, but these two, I think people still value quite highly. Wide receiver 21, Jahan Dotson. Man, look at Jahan Dotson's heat map. It's not pleasant. Bad in market share. Woof in targets per route run, bad in yards per route run, bad in air yards percentage. Okay, yak ability, average, but then you look at his quarterback efficiency, not projected to be good, and then you look at his projected volume average. So there's just a lot of stink on the Jahan Dotson profile, and then you go wide receiver 21, damn. And then you look at that and you go, you know what, there's like not that far to get to Cooper Cup from Jahan Dotson. Like it's not that far to get up to that range So it's possible. It's possible to make that move. And just think about the differences between those two players in terms of potential warp. So that's one that stands out as just kind of overvalued, right? Then you get into the range where there's a couple guys that we like. DJ Moore, Brandon Ayuk, Jerry Judy. All three of those profiles, kind of one-trick ponies. You look at DJ Moore in terms of market share. It's always been really good. Air yards, he led the league in air yards last year. Yak ability was low. So bad for yak ability. So kind of the one-dimensional profile that we saw from somebody like Chris Olave, but obviously wide receiver 23 prices. The big drawback with DJ Moore is the woof and the woof for the quarterback efficiency and for the volume or the projected volume. So again, if you could bet on DJ Moore, it's probably a good price that you can bet on him at wide receiver 23 versus like wide receiver eight for Chris Olave or wide receiver nine for T Higgins. You're essentially just losing a couple years and you're betting on that woof for the quarterback efficiency and the woof for the projected volume to be a little bit better than expected. But that's it. So DJ Moore is one of those, what I'll call is just a space eater. He's there. If you have him, you're betting that this can go a little bit better. And if you're holding him and wanting to sell him, you're probably going, you know what? I don't think this can sustain. I know what I'm getting. I'm paying wide receiver 23 prices. I'm selling for something that probably means he's going to be just in that range and nothing more. So let me try to get out. Brandon Ayuk, same thing. He actually looks a little bit better than DJ Moore. Average across the board, good for the yak ability, great for the quarterback efficiency, at least based on the small sample size for Brock Purdy. 
and then bad for the potential volume. But who knows? Who the hell knows with the San Francisco quarterback situation? But Brandon Ayuk is another one where you can probably say is that's just a space eater. Then Jerry Judy. So we go up. We looked at the profiles of like Amon Ross St. Brown and Jalen Waddle. Jerry Judy looks very similar. Obviously not as good at drawing targets. Not as good from a production standpoint, yards per route run or targets per route run. Uh, bad in terms of air yards. So very few air yards for Jerry Judy, but tons of of yak yards. But then you look Jerry Judy, bad and bad for quarterback efficiency and for projected volume. That's based on last year and that's based on Mike Clay's projection. If you want to bet on the Broncos turning it around, I think Jerry Judy is the guy you want to bet on. So very similar to DJ Moore. Looks like a very similar profile. Now they get their points a little bit differently. One's a yak monster, one's an air yards monster, and they're actually bad at the other thing. However, if you're willing to bet on the quarterback situation or bet on the offense, those are two guys that can go up or down. So that's why I kind of lump them into the same category. One of the other guys that I'm not going to point out of being a little bit shaky is Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel, it actually has a combination of low yards per route run, and he gets a wolf for air yards. Uh, The only player inside the top 30 that has woof for air yards. So we're talking about DK Metcalf for Yak, uh, Debo Samuel, the only guy that's woof for air yards percentage, but then obviously he's great at Yak. So literally the opposite of Metcalf, a one trick pony, you know what it is, but probably not a guy that I want to bank on sustaining simply because it's, it's all or nothing for Debo, very similar to DK Metcalf. So he stands out, but not one of the ones I was mentioning. So we go down a little bit further. The other one I want to mention, and I hate to turn this into just a bash, bash, bash show, but George Pickens. George Pickens looks very similar to Jahan Dotson, but man, it's even worse. Three woofs in there for George Pickens. So target share, bad. Targets per route run, woof. Yards per route run, woof. Air yards percentage, bad. Yak, woof. Three woofs out of five for George Pickens. And then the other two categories, bad. Then you look at his quarterback efficiency for last year, bad. And then you look at his projected volume, bad. Now, again, that's just last year. It was a rookie, Kenny Pickett. But even if that bumps up to average, look at the George Pickens snapshot and you go, what am I actually betting on here? Like literally, what am I betting on him doing? He looks very similar to guys. You scroll all the way down, all the way down to a guy that is at wide receiver 69. How about DJ Chark? Looks very similar to DJ Chark. How about a guy that's two spots lower than him, Dominic Peoples-Jones? How about a guy two spots lower than him, Michael Gallup? That's what George Pickens looks like. Yet he is being valued as wide receiver 31. Then you have those guys that are all the way down there, wide receiver 69, 71, and 73. So I'm not saying he doesn't have more ability than those guys, but man, you look at the snapshot of his profile and it looks very similar. So I'm making a pretty strong bet that George Pickens is just going to go down. And then it's funny because you look at his own team and you look at Deontay Johnson, wide receiver 36. You also look at his yak, woof. You look at Allen Robinson's yak, which isn't even on here because he's outside the top 100 on keep trade cut. But again, extremely low for Allen Robinson. So you look at this offense and you go, like, where is the yak ability going to come in this offense? It doesn't exist. And then you look at the only guy you're really banking on giving you any sort of air yards is probably George Pickens. But then you look at the other two profiles, Allen Robinson and Deontay Johnson, and you go, if there are two guys on that offense, at least at receiver, then I'm going to bet on being able to earn targets before George Pickens. It's those two. So then you look at George Pickens and you go, he's not going to get anything yak wise. 
he's not going to get the volume because there's two other guys that are able to draw targets. Forget about Pat Fryermuth. Forget about Najee Harris. But like there's four other guys legitimately that are just better at him than drawing targets. Like where's the production going to come from George Pickens? It's going to look very much like Michael Gallup. When the Cowboys had Amari Cooper, when they had C.D. Lamb, when they had Tony Pollard, when they had Zeke, when they had Dalton Schultz, oh yeah, they had Michael Gallup. Now, it looked good when the offense was just humming. If you remember the 2020 season when Dak broke his ankle, the offense was throwing the ball 45 times a game. Like, you could get some production out of Michael Gallup, but do you really want to bet on that happening for the Steelers? So kind of an interesting one when you look at George Pickens. And again, a lot of people have crapped on him. It's caused his value to fall quite a bit from where it was earlier this offseason, but there's still people going, you know what, he's a decent buy. Just pulled up a thread today, and literally the case to buy him was he's the prototypical X receiver. 6'3", 215, or 205, or whatever he is. It's like the prototypical X. But then you look at everything and you go, where's the fantasy production going to come? So just a strong bet against George Pickens. Not saying he's not a threshold receiver. Not saying he's a guy that can't be a little bit better than what he was. But I don't want to bet on him being in this range. I'm guessing he probably falls down into a range that's a little bit lower. Kind of looks similar to a guy if you go down a little bit. Wide receiver 51. How about Gabriel Davis? Target share, bad. Targets per route run, woof. Yards per route run, bad. Air yards, average. Okay, we can do that. Then you get to yak, bad. But quarterback efficiency, great. Volume, good. There you go. What is Gabe Davis? Your typical boom or bust receiver. You know, the one thing that he does is air yards. He can catch deep balls, which is fine, but he is what he is. I actually like Gabe Davis a lot this year at wide receiver 51. You know where I didn't like him? Last year, like wide receiver 25. Very similar to where like George Pickens is this year. So it's interesting. You start comparing him to Michael Gallup, DJ Chark, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Gabe Davis. Even on like the high end, I've said like Mike Williams could be an okay comp for George Pickens. But then you look at that and you're like, man, is that all I'm going to get? So you just start looking at more and more players and what their makeup looks like. And you're like, man, I'd get out on that George Pickens. It's not because he's not a good player. It's just he is what he is. And it's just hard to bet that he's going to be anything different. And I was texting with Ray about this and he was like, yeah, this kind of looks like what George Pickens was all along. And it was that the prototypical X coming into the league, he fell to the second round of the NFL draft, like the end of the second round too. Yet people just ignore that because they just look at like the physical build and the size and some of the highlights and say, we're just going to wish cast this guy into a role that really never existed based on his skill set. A few others that stand out in here, obviously Amari Cooper, wide receiver 37. Listen, people are fading him because he's going to be 29 years old, but across the board, everything good or average. Like he's obviously a tier below some of the elite guys, but a great buy at wide receiver 37. Quarterback efficiency, historically, um, I obviously didn't use last year's for Deshaun Watson because it's a small sample size. I filtered it for at least 300 snaps played. Uh, But if you use historic efficiency, if you're betting on Deshaun Watson bouncing back, you got to bet on Amari Cooper. So he's one that stands out. Keenan Allen, we already kind of know Keenan Allen is kind of a one-trick pony. But you look at his numbers, and he's still a really good receiver. I know there's some people that really don't like him, but then he's got both the quarterback efficiency and the volume going for him. So if you're willing to bet on Keenan Allen, I mean, could you get a Keenan Allen plus for George Pickens? I definitely think you could. You know you're going to get the receiver you're buying, probably for higher warp over the next year or two. 
But the idea is I really don't care what happens to him, the asset, because I'm making a bet of what's going to happen with George Pickens, the asset. So that's a pivot that you can make. Then one of the ones I wanted to point out as one that just from last year, how bad it was, you may spot this profile if you look at this heat map and you're just taking your eyes and gravitating towards colors. Wide receiver 45, Elijah Moore. Woof, 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 woof. All the categories. He's literally the only player until you get down to the very, very bottom. And actually, I think he is the only player in this sample set in the top 100 receivers right now. They got woofs across the board. The only thing he gets credit for is the quarterback efficiency historically for Deshaun Watson. So if Watson doesn't get back to what he was, it's literally woofs across the board for Elijah Moore. So if there is a bigger sell in Dynasty, it's him. And you can still tell yourself and wish cast that, oh, he can get back to what he was as a rookie. I'm willing to bet against it. Just the fact that a team literally had him on a rookie contract after this great rookie production, and they got rid of him. They traded him to another team in the conference where you can envision, hey, that might be a team we're battling for a wild card. Nope, here you go. We'll trade up 30 picks and get a second rounder and give you back a third rounder. You can have this guy. Even though he's cost controlled at probably the second or third most important position in the league, we don't want him. You can have him. So I know people are wish casting Elijah Moore to bounce back. I've even heard some pods saying, you know what, man, second half of the year as Amari Cooper fades, Elijah Moore could step up and smash. I'm willing to bet against it. So that's one that definitely stands out of, man, if it's anything like 2022, an easy fade at wide receiver 45. So I'm going to shut it down looking at profiles from here. Uh, take a look at this. Go down the line and see if there's any others that stand out to you. Uh, look for potential ranges, especially in best ball, where you can say, can I pivot off and literally not lose anything? And then in lineup leagues, obviously you have to do a little bit more evaluation on how many roster spots you have, how much depth you have to go in terms of your roster construction from a lineup standpoint. If it's start nine versus start 11, your threshold is going to be a little bit different in terms of where you want to cut the receivers off. So obviously if you're talking about like a start nine or a start 10, when you're down into the wide receiver 50s, 60s, 70s, you're already on the fringe of whether those guys are ever even startable in the first place. But if you're in a deeper league, start 11, start 12, you can play in these waters. You can play in the wide receiver 50, 60, 70 range, and you could squint and say, you know what? There's some guys down in that range that I can count on for another year. I can count as a threshold receiver for another year. And if I'm willing to pivot off somebody that's a little bit younger, I can probably do it. I might even end up with better warp and I still end up netting like an extra second round pick. You know, could you pivot off of a player that's a little more valued in the range above, maybe somebody like Christian Kirk, for instance, wide receiver 35. Could I pivot down to somebody that's a little bit cheaper than Christian Kirk and still end up getting Tyler Lockett or Brandon Cooks and get a second round pick back? You never know. If you can make that kind of move, that's the type of thing that I'm looking to do. But obviously in a lineup league, you have to evaluate where your construction thresholds are and then decide how far down you want to go and what type of pivots you want to make. But then in best ball, clearly we know that there's a big difference in terms of how you roster construct. But then also at receiver, you know, if you look at the warp and you look at how the distribution is, like you're pretty confident. You can probably just go down the line and say, you know what, I'm willing to bet against this guy. I'm willing to bet for this guy. And it's not that big a deal. You're literally just picking up extra value that, as we always talk about, is flexible. You can store it and can use it to buy some points or some warp later on in the season. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this. I will link to the data uh, in the podcast feed so you can see that. 
Um, I do want to do the warp drawing uh, for the five free months of the warp tool on South Harmon. Again, southharmonff.com. Check out the warp tool. You can buy it for $6.99 a month. You can plug in all of your sleeper leagues and just look at the warp distribution historically. Koopa said the other night on the show with me uh, over at the Patreon, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. goes all the way back to 27. So 2007, you can go back 16 seasons and look at the historic warp data and kind of get a glimpse of how it's been distributed over a long period of time. So I did a 100-yard rush. Anybody that knows our USFFL leagues, that's how we determine uh, the draft slots or the draft positions that are going to come up. Uh, And the results are in for the 100-yard rush. Uh, And the five winners of the free month are Justin Mercer, Jay Lau, Joe Cernak, Henman1 at Henman1. I only know the Twitter handle there. And then at EvertonFan69420. So a couple of you I know from the Patreon. I know Justin, Jay Lau, and Joe Cernak are all from the Patreon. And then the other two, Henman1 and EvertonFan69420. Uh, don't recognize you specifically from the Patreon or the Discord, uh, but I believe both of those were from Twitter. So just message me. Uh, and let me know that you heard this, and I will get you set up uh, with the free month. I'll have to talk to Koopa or uh, Mike and Adam over on South Harmon to try to figure out you know, how I'm going to get that set up. But I'll make sure I hook you up with a free month of the Warp Tool. Uh, with that, check it out. Again, everything at Destination Devi, patreon.com slash allgas, the newsletter, allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. And then finally, everything over at Dynasty and Chill at patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. I do want to give a quick plug for Dynasty Trades in 5. Everyone that watches Dynasty Trades in 5, I know we have a lot of crossover listeners uh, from Destination Devi that also listen to Dynasty Trades in 5. We will be doing a five-hour live stream on Dynasty Trades in 5. I was hesitant to bring it up because I didn't know the date and I didn't know the time. And I hate to put something out there like that when I'm not really sure of those things. Uh, But we have it locked down. It will be June the 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern, that is a Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on Dynasty Trades in 5 live on YouTube. We will be doing a five-hour live stream. Uh, There will be some pre-canned, pre-rehearsed topics that we talk about, but for the most part, it is just going to be trade questions, strategy questions, roster construction questions, just questions. I mean, we get hundreds and hundreds of questions that we cannot answer every week, And we're hoping we can get to a lot more people and also appeal to some of the people that just can't make the time. We usually stream Tuesday nights at 8.30 and people that can't make it, they often say, hey, I have to watch the stream back later because I can't make it live because of work or other commitments or I'm in a part of the world where I'm literally asleep at that time. So we're changing up the time. It's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern, a little bit earlier uh, for those. And it's also going to be on a weekend. So anybody that wants to join us, Please join us for that night. There'll be a lot of debauchery, I'm sure. Uh, There'll be some funny moments, some TikTok moments that come up just because we're literally going to be sitting there for five hours. So again, Dynasty Trades in 5 live stream, June 17th, 2023, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, With that, I will go ahead and sign off. Again, happy Memorial Day to everybody, everybody that celebrated a veteran or a family member or a friend that served. Thank you very much. And I will go ahead and sign off for the weekend. Be chill.